0: pray just while some people are finding a seat. Father, we thought very briefly this morning about how much we need wisdom from you, but we realize we need lots and lots of other things from you as well. We need encouragement and strength, we need rebuke often, we need instruction And as we try to think about your word tonight, we realize that often, most of the time, those things come to us through your word. So I pray that you will help us as we think specifically about how we might uh, engage with your word more carefully and more consistently and draw from it the things that you have for us, the good things that are uh, there in your word waiting for us to receive them. So I pray that you will help us in our time tonight. Amen. This afternoon uh, we're starting a new Table Talk series called Habits of Discipleship, which hopefully is uh, clear enough there. And the theme verses for this series, we'll probably spend maybe six Evenings over the months on this, I'm not sure yet, but the theme verses for the whole thing are 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, which say this Train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The word that's translated train there is where we get our words, gymnasium and gymnastics. So this is talking about things that we are to be actively doing in order to be godly. And Paul says this training produces benefits now in the present and it will produce benefits in the future. So over, as I said, the next five or six table talks, we're going to look at different aspects of this training. We're going to look at the first one today. But before we move on to that, it's worth asking a couple of questions about what Paul says here in these verses. First of all, what do we mean by godliness? Well, really, it's another word for Christ-likeness. In Romans, Paul says it's God's will for us to be conformed to the image of his Son. Paul also says we are to clothe ourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning we're to take on his qualities and his characteristics. Our lives are to reflect his character. Here's how one writer explains it. He says, godliness means both closeness to Christ and conformity to Christ, a conformity that's both inward and outward. A growing conformity to both the heart of Christ and the life of Christ. So that's what we mean when we talk about being godly. We see God most clearly by looking at Jesus, and we are to train ourselves to be like him. But that raises a second question How are we to think about God's part in this and ours? In other words, we can't make ourselves like Jesus, can we? Isn't that something God does? Maybe we can act like Jesus now and again, but surely only God can make us actually like him. And the answer to that is yes, it is God's gracious work that makes us grow in Christlikeness, And we are commanded to put ourselves in the path of God's gracious work. John Piper uses the example of a farmer. The farmer goes out and he plows his field. Then he sows seed in the field. And over weeks and months, he tends that field. So then when a crop appears in the field, of corn or whatever it is, did the farmer produce that crop? Well, no, he didn't. God did. But God used the farmer's disciplined work as part of the process that ended with the crop. I think that's a helpful way to think about the disciplined work of Bible reading and prayer and the other things we're going to look at. Those things don't make us godly. God does that. But God certainly uses the disciplined effort that we put in as part of the whole process. So our goal is Christ-likeness. That's what motivates us as we discipline ourselves. We don't do it to impress God. We don't do it to impress other people. We do it for the purpose of godliness. And we know godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. That's a very brief introduction to this series. I also want to recommend a book. This book has lots of helpful material on all of the topics we're going to look at and more. So it will be useful through the months to come. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Don Whitney. So I'd encourage you to have a look at it afterwards. If you'd like a copy, just put your name on the sheet. I'll set the book and the sheet on that table, just like we've done before. Put your name on the sheet and I'll order one for you. It's the kind of book I find that's worth rereading every so often. So it's well worth having a copy of your own. So we come now to the first of the habits or disciplines we're going to look at. Whoops. There it is. Bible reading and study and meditation. Basically, engagement with God's word in various different ways. In terms of where that title comes from, we've seen recently in Revelation that we are called to be Bible eaters. When we looked at Revelation chapter 10, John had a vision where he was given a scroll and he was told to eat the scroll. That was a way of saying he was to take God's word and he was to digest it, and make it a part of himself. And we saw then that Ezekiel was told to do exactly the same thing. So that's where the title comes from. I mentioned Don Whitney's book just a minute ago and this is what he says about Bible intake. No factor is more influential in making us more like the Son of God than the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. If you want to be changed, if you want to become more like Jesus Christ, discipline yourself to read the Bible. And he goes on. There is simply no healthy Christian life apart from a diet of the milk and meat of Scripture. And so if you or I feel that our Christian life is not healthy, one of the first questions to ask ourselves is, how is my Bible intake? Is it steady? Is it irregular? Is it non-existent? If we're struggling as Christians or if we feel cold and far from God, there certainly may be other important questions we could ask, like, am I indulging in some sin? Is that what's taking away my peace and contentment and life as a Christian? But alongside that, one of the first questions to ask is, am I simply starving as a Christian? Because I'm not taking in God's word. God's word is often referred to in the Bible like food. For example, when Jesus was tempted by the devil, he said, quoting from Deuteronomy, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And his point was, as John Piper explains here, the life we get from bread is fragile and short. The life we get from the word is firm and lasts forever. Another writer says, when we come to the Bible, we come to a banquet of God. And yet, how many of us have to admit we don't often come to the banquet? We leave it sitting on the table or on the shelf. And we go about spiritually starved because of that. Why is that? Why do we live often spiritually starved? Is it because the Bible is too hard to understand? Well, it's true, there are difficult bits. Peter, one of the apostles, wrote that Paul's letters contain some things that are hard to understand. So the Bible itself agrees that some bits are hard. But is that really why we neglect the Bible? Isn't the vast majority of the Bible really pretty clear? And isn't there lots of material available to help us with the difficult bits? I'm not sure that's a major reason we neglect the Bible. Could it be we don't have confidence in the Bible? Is that why we neglect the banquet? It could be for some of us. Maybe you saw a TV program once that questioned the reliability of the Bible. There are plenty of those kind of programs around. Or maybe you had a skeptical teacher who liked to take pot shots at the Bible. If you encounter something like that and you try to just push it to the back of your mind, that can result in your Bible staying closed. Because your confidence in the Bible has been rocked by something you've heard or seen. But instead of trying not to think about attacks on the Bible, it's much better to investigate the things you've heard. And again, there's lots of helpful material available that deals with the questions that might be raised. I've already recommended one book. Here's another, which you can see is a lot shorter. It's by a man called Andrew Wilson. Now some of us are here are big fans of his. We've heard him speaking on the reliability of scripture. He has some debates with Steve Chalk that you can find online. Those are definitely worth watching. But this little book that he wrote is called Unbreakable. It's a very easy, very short and very enjoyable read. He has an easy style but he puts a lot into it. So again, have a look at this. I'll put this on the table too. With a sheet, put your name on the list if you'd like one. And in the notes at the back of this, there's a link to an online resource that deals with more questions about the Bible's reliability. So the point is, don't go about starved of God's word because some skeptic has shaken your confidence in God's word. Take advantage of the work others have done to show the reliability and the trustworthiness of the Bible. And then come back to the Bible with new confidence. I think though for the majority of us, if we're starving from a lack of God's word, it's for a very different reason. It's because we don't have a definite plan for feeding on God's word. Or if we do, we haven't disciplined ourselves to carry out and persevere with the plan. I think that's what keeps most of us from the banquet. R.C. Sproul says this, which might be painful for us to hear. He says, we fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it is difficult to understand, not so much because it is dull and boring, but because it is work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. Proverbs talks about someone who's too lazy to lift his hand from the dish up to his mouth. And wouldn't some of us have to say we're like that with the banquet of God that sits in front of us, between the covers of our Bible? I do want to mention one more reason, though, that we may not come to the banquet very often. Having said that laziness may be our main problem, some of you might be listening and thinking, that's not fair. I have given serious effort to reading the Bible, but it seemed a fruitless exercise. Half the time I read it and two minutes later, I couldn't tell you a thing that I just read. We probably all had that experience, maybe less than two minutes And it is hard to stay disciplined to do it if it seems pointless. So if that's how you feel, if that's been your experience, or if you recognize your problem really is laziness or a lack of planning, then I hope that the next few minutes are helpful. I want to try to be as practical as possible and make some suggestions about a plan for taking in God's word both planning to do it and planning to make sure you get something out of it. It's equally important. And if your Bible reading happens to be going wonderfully, there will be opportunity at the end for you to share your approach. And I would like to hear from people at the end. But hopefully you'll still, even if things are are running well for you, hopefully you'll still find something here for freshening up your Bible times. So first of all, let's think about when. It's probably the first question we need to ask. If we don't have a regular time set aside to focus on the Bible, it's hardly ever going to happen. It's the same really as learning a musical instrument or playing a sport. If we tell ourselves, I'll just do it whenever, then we won't do it. Mo Farah didn't win all those gold medals by training whenever. So I make no apologies for using the word habit in the title for this series. Some habits are very, very good. Personally, I have the habit of brushing my teeth every day. And nobody has ever said to me, you should just be spontaneous about brushing your teeth. So why would we think Bible habit Our Bible habits are bad. We need to pick a time that we set aside for this. And we may have to give up something else in order to do it. Sometimes I have a burst of enthusiasm about some hobby that I think I'm going to take up. But then I realize it's going to mean surrendering some of the time I use on other things. And generally I'm not willing to surrender that time. So the hobby just gets forgotten about. Last summer I got a ukulele, which I will never master. A, because I have absolutely no musical talent. I should have known that long before I bought the ukulele. But B, I will never master the ukulele because I won't sacrifice other things in order to practice my ukulele. I just don't want to do it that much. But if the Bible is as vital to us as I tried to show earlier, and as we would all probably say it is, then we will be prepared to sacrifice something else to fit in our Bible time. Maybe we'll sacrifice half an hour's sleep by getting up earlier in the morning. Or we might sacrifice half an hour of video games or TV to make time at night. Whatever time of day we choose, we have to count the cost and do what we have to do to set the time aside. Some people will find it best last thing at night or maybe at lunchtime. But I want to make just one plug briefly for first thing in the morning. Don Whitney points out in his book that if we focus on scripture last thing at night, it's unlikely we're going to have that scripture in our minds the next day. And that means our scripture intake will have much less of an impact on our day. It is good to go to sleep with God's truth on our minds and hearts. But it may be better to step out into the new day with God's truth in our minds. That way we're more likely to apply what we've read to what we face that day. But beyond that little plug for favoring the morning, if you just find a time that suits. Fit it into your regular routine. If it takes you two hours to wake up and get going in the morning, maybe the morning isn't the best time for you. But then what about how long? I think January must be the time of year when gyms do the most business. People join a gym and they resolve they're going to go for an hour a day, five days a week. And then 90% of them, maybe more, go twice and then they quit until the next January. The problem was, I think the problem is, for most people, they set the bar too high to begin with. And we can be like that with Bible time. We can have a burst of enthusiasm and resolve we're going to study the Bible and pray for an hour a day. And then we quit after two days. So I would suggest setting aside a 15 to 20 minute slot. Start with 15 minutes. And in a moment we'll think about how we could use that time. But it's much better to feel you haven't set aside enough time and you need more and aim for a big chunk of time and then just give up. So let's say you've got your 15 or 20 minute slot. How are you going to use those minutes? I'm going to mention three things that we need to do. And then I'll give some suggestions for how you might include those three things. We need to read wide. We need to read deep. And we need to meditate. Three different things. First of all, we need to read wide. In other words, over time, we have to be reading through the whole Bible. If we don't, we're just not getting the full story. Or if we go back to the banquet idea, we're not getting the whole meal. And we can all acknowledge that parts of the Old Testament can be very tough going but the New Testament will come alive to us the more we know the Old Testament and vice versa, actually. We're missing out in a big way if we just rotate through a handful of our favorite passages. That's like eating nothing but dessert all the time. Now, there's no rule that says you have to read the whole Bible in a year. But over time, we have to be covering all of it. And one way to do that is to read the Bible in a year. There are lots and lots of programs that have already done the work of dividing it up into sections for you. But We have to know ourselves and be realistic about ourselves. If you haven't been reading the Bible regularly, going straight to the Bible in a year probably isn't the best idea. You're unlikely to stick with it. It's like trying to do a marathon with no training. Much, much better to go through the Bible over a longer time. You can find programs that will take you through in two years, for example. I'd be happy to point you to those or you could just find them very easily on the internet. So we need to read wide. We also need to read deep. In other words, we need to study the Bible. You'll have noticed the Bible is not like a novel. We need a bit of help in seeing how the Bible fits together. And as Peter said, some parts are hard to understand. We need some help if we're going to deepen our understanding of what we read. So it's worth getting a good study Bible. And then you'll have notes on each page to help you. Try the NIV or the ESV study Bibles. Or you might want a small commentary on a particular part of the Bible that you're reading. Like the book by Richard Buse. lots of you are reading that on Revelation. There are lots of others in the same series, in the same style. Or I'll just mention another option. This series, it's called Fill in the Blank for You, so there's Judges for You, uh, Kings for you, Romans for you, Galatians for you. There's a whole series that are coming out at the moment. Those are very useful. They're not heavy, easy to pick up and follow. Or if you ask me about a particular book, I'd be happy to recommend a straightforward commentary. And there's lots of good stuff online. There's lots of rubbish online as well. But one good site that you could look at is mybiblestudy.com. Sorry, mystudybible.com. It's an online study Bible. Mystudybible.com. The notes there are by reliable people. You can compare different versions and there's lots of other things. But the point is, it's not important only to be familiar with the content of the Bible. We have to work at deepening our understanding of that content. And we must meditate. Charles Spurgeon said this I would rather lay my soul soaking in half a dozen verses all day than I would, as it were, rinse my hands in several chapters. Oh, to bathe in a text of Scripture and let it be sucked up into your very soul till it saturates your heart. Spurgeon doesn't use the word med- meditation there, but that's what he's talking about. Meditation is what delivers us from reading the Bible, then closing it and forgetting what we've read. So what is meditation? Well, in the context of Buddhism, meditation involves emptying your mind. But biblical meditation is just about the opposite of that. It involves focusing on a small section of scripture, just a few verses, or even part of a verse, and chewing it over, and turning it into prayer. Don Whitney defines it like this. Take one thing you've read and think deeply about it for a few minutes. And he uses the example of a tea bag. Reading a few chapters of the Bible, he says, is like dunking a tea bag in a cup of water and pulling it out again. It's going to vaguely stain the water, but not much. But meditation, he says, is like dropping the tea bag into the cup and letting it brew. And he goes on to say the main reason we are unaffected by Scripture. The main reason we feel we get nothing out of scripture is simply because we don't slow down and linger over what we read. I think most of us would say we've been guilty often of just skimming through what we read so we can tick the box and move on to something else. But meditation takes us away from that. George Miller said, This is another definition of meditation. Not the simple reading of the word of God so that it only passes through our minds just as water runs through a pipe, but considering what we read, pondering over it and applying it to our hearts. So meditation is not the same as study. Study deepens our knowledge of what the Bible says. Meditation is taking the truth we've dug up through study and turning it over until we begin to digest it. The reason we close the Bible and forget what we've just read isn't because our minds are incapable of holding on to it. It's because we haven't slowed down to let what we've read brew in our minds and hearts. And I think the reason we often feel cold and unmoved after reading scripture is because we haven't lingered long enough to let what we read warm us up. If you want more details about biblical meditation, I'd point you to Don Whitney's book. He gives lots of help, ideas, suggestions about how to chew over the things that you read. He gives lots of questions you can ask to get at the significance of what you're looking at. And if you're wondering where prayer comes into all this, meditation leads naturally into prayer. You just pray through the truth that's been brewing in your heart as you meditate. So as you're meditating, you're asking, how does this lead me to praise God? How does it lead me to understand God better? Or to understand myself better? To see my own heart? What does it lead me to confess to God or to give thanks to God? Does it give me some insight or wisdom about a situation I'm going through? Or maybe something a friend is going through that I can pray for them? Meditation will lead us naturally into some kind of prayer. So if you've ever thought, I don't know what to pray about, meditation will give you lots to pray about. In Whitney's book, he gives 17 different approaches to meditating. So if what I've said doesn't seem to quite cover it, you'll find something helpful in the book. If you're reading through the Gospels, you might meditate on a paragraph, maybe one of Jesus' miracles. In the New Testament letters, you might meditate on only a verse. In the Old Testament narratives, maybe you'd meditate on a whole incident like Achan's sin in Joshua. If you're meditating on a small section, one helpful way to focus is to write out the verses you're going to meditate on. That really makes you slow down and think about it. I came across that idea about a year and a half ago and I find it really helpful. I have a notebook where I write out three, four, five verses, and it helps me to start concentrating. But by now you might be thinking, well, didn't you say 15 to 20 minutes? And I'm supposed to read wide and deep and meditate? How does that work in 20 minutes? Well, I'm going to give you a few possibilities. Maybe something that I mentioned will give you an idea you can maybe match it with something else and use it. And of course you can set aside longer than 20 minutes. But let's stick with 20 minutes. Let's say you're reading a, using a reading program that takes you through the Bible in two years. So you might spend the first few minutes reading through your couple of chapters for the day reasonably quickly. Then pick up a verse or two that stood out as you read those chapters And focus in on that for the next few minutes. Linger over those one or two or three verses. And then turn your reflections into prayer for the last few minutes. A variation on that would be to read a longer passage one day. Then read a commentary on that same passage the next day. Then meditate on part of the passage the day after. That would be three days on the same passage. Another approach would be to divide your week between different approaches and different passages. So you might spend a couple of days a week doing wide reading, covering a few chapters in one go on those days. Then on other days you might focus on just a few verses in a different place in the Bible. For example, you might be reading through big chunks of Joshua for two days a week, covering as much as you can in the time that you have. And then you might spend the other five days going through Ephesians, for example. Four or five or three or two verses in a day. Maybe reading the relevant page in a commentary or the notes in the study Bible and then meditating on those verses. That means that over the course of one week, you are reading wide and deep and you're meditating. You're just not doing all those things on the same day. Another approach would be to use two days a week to go back to the passages we looked at on Sunday. At the moment, that would be Joshua and Revelation. You're always going to get more out of them by going back to them, and I know some of you do that. Going over your notes if you take notes. I think taking notes is a good idea for some people, it helps to focus during the sermon. Other people, though, find notes to be a distraction. You don't concentrate when you take notes. But even if you don't take notes, going back to the passage, it's still going to reinforce something that you heard on Sunday. So you could use your Bible time on two days to look back and take another two days to read ahead for the next Sunday's sermons. So you've thought and prayed about the passages before you hear the sermons on them that's four days, you could use the other three days on a reading plan that just goes right through the Bible. What I'm trying to suggest is you don't have to do the same thing every day. Variety can keep things fresh for us. But the golden rule I want to get across is do something. Make a realistic plan for yourself and do it. If it's not working, don't just rip it up and stop, adjust the plan until it does work. And if you're following a reading program that's dated and for some reason you fall behind, say, for a week, just forget the dates and go on with it a day at a time. It's much better to finish the whole thing two months late than to give up halfway through because you fell a week behind. And if you find that a certain day in the week is consistently unpredictable for you, then just make a plan that covers six days a week. Make a plan you know that you'll be able to stick to. Figure out what sacrifices you're going to have to make to do it, and then do it. And make sure, in one way or another, you're reading both wide and deep. And build in time to meditate. To linger over at least a verse of what you read. Let it brew into prayer. Before you close your Bible and go. And don't always expect when you do this. That you're going to find a concrete command. That you can go away and obey. Some passages will be like that. They'll challenge you to go and tame your tongue. Or forgive your brother or sister. But if we expect every passage in the Bible to be like that, we're going to be mightily disappointed a lot of the time. Many passages aren't going to give us a good deed for the day. A lot of the Bible is more concerned with our outlook and our world view. Much of the Bible wants us to go away realizing God is good. That he's holy. That he's in control of this world. And so we can trust him in the trying situation we're going to go and face that day or the trying situation we're going to come home to that day. I have a few copies of a little bookmark with a plan for 20 minutes a day in the Bible. These are left over from something I did quite a while ago. So there aren't many of them left, but they're on the table over here. And they just give you some questions you can ask to help you apply any passage you're looking at. So if you promise not just to use this as a bookmark, you can have one. I want to finish, before I ask if you have things to contribute or ask, I'm going to finish by saying something about Bible reading notes. Devotional notes. I'm not thinking about study Bible, but devotional notes that you can get. Some of you like to use daily bread notes, for example. And that's fine. I'm not going to say anything negative about the daily bread. But please don't think that reading those devotional notes counts as Bible reading. If you're going to use those notes, do them as well as your Bible reading, not in place of it. And there are some very good daily notes. I would probably recommend the Explore notes. I know... handful at least if you already use those. Or uh, something else that some of you have tried. Don Carson has two books of notes called For the Love of God. Those are very helpful. You can get them sent to you online every day if you don't want to buy the books. But what I really want to say is if you do use notes, be careful. They don't become a hindrance to engaging with the Bible yourself they can just end up becoming something that puts a distance between you and the Bible. So I'd say it's better not to read devotional notes than to end up feeding on someone else's comments about the Bible rather than feeding on the Bible for yourself. Notes can make us lazy in that way. So if you normally use notes, why not try going without them for a while? Just go straight to the Bible and have a study Bible or a commentary that you can look up difficult things in. But do the meditation bit by yourself. Don't rely on somebody else's meditation. And so here's my final quote. He uses the word Bible study here but I would probably substitute meditation into what he says. He says, don't settle only for spiritual food that's been pre-digested by others. Experience the joy of discovering biblical insights firsthand through your own Bible study. Or we'd probably want to say your own Bible meditation. That's all I've got. I know it's been a little bit of a scattergun approach, but I wanted to throw out as many practical ideas as possible. For some of you, you've heard all this before, but maybe for some of you it'll help you to develop getting things out of the Bible. But we do want to give an opportunity, because I think probably we can all benefit from hearing from each other. I'd like to have a chance to do that. So we have a mic. If there are any questions you want to ask... Or if you want to share things that you personally have found helpful, things you've tried that worked very well, we'd like to hear that. That would be useful.
1: I know there's um, single people here and also married couples. How do you feel about the sort of married couples just reading the passage together and sharing Rather than sort of individually uh, studying the Bible, that's what we do. And sometimes, you know, Catherine sort of spots something that I don't, then I spot something that she doesn't. And so, how do you feel that um, you know, two of us do it together?
0: Well, I'm certainly not going to say that's a bad idea. I think it's a great idea. And probably most of us would say we tend to have the opposite problem if we're married—that we have we struggle to do it together. I guess what I would just say is maybe in addition to that, it's really helpful to have. Quiet and solitude at some points, where you personally are reflecting on on what you've read and letting it brew a little bit. But certainly, I think that could come out of doing things together. I think ideally, you want to have have both. Depending, I mean, the, the proportion is going to vary a little bit, but I think it's useful. Just even thinking about Jesus' own devotional life, he didn't do all his reflection and study with the disciples. We're told often in the gospels he went to solitary place. And I think we need to have some element of that ourselves. If if Jesus felt he needed it, how much more do we? But but clearly he also did lots and lots of praying and discussing and reading with his disciples. So.
1: Thank you what we just Is it coming over? Yeah. Thank you for what we've just heard from you. Um, I find that when I'm meditating on uh, a verse at a time or two, three verses at a time, that using the central margin in my Bible and cross-referencing to other parts of the Bible is most helpful. You find out whether the parts it's mentioned, certain things you find uh, which you haven't seen before, and I find that's most helpful. Thank you.
0: And for some of us, I I mentioned writing the verses. Some of us think better if we scribble or write. So another option, in addition maybe to trying writing two or three verses, use the other page in your notebook to write a sentence or two as you reflect on it, if that helps you to think better. If, If in the morning especially you need something to help you focus, why not write a couple of sentences or even just a couple of words about what you've drawn out of the passage that might help. And as Ian said, it might direct you to another passage that sheds light on what you've just looked at.
2: On that note, um, alongside writing things down, John Piper um, has a a series of videos showing his approach with um, a really visual approach. So he writes it out and then he draws on it. So he draws lines and underlines and circles things they're called labs which i find really helpful
0: yeah yeah thank you and whitney's book may, it touches on that probably not in anywhere near the detail so if you'd like that information from john piper ask kevin to point you to that but he talks in the book about he calls it mind mapping so you use little clouds and arrows and we just all learn and think differently so find a way that you can uh, focus your mind and draw out the truth that's there in front of you Scribbling diagrams, whatever is helpful.
1: So I shared this with you last a couple of weeks ago, Tim, on the opposite side. I am rubbish at this. So for the other people who are sitting in the room thinking it's great to hear all of the positive sides, I just struggle every day. And I'm going to say, use the word fine time very loosely because there are a million things that I would rather do than sit down and sacrifice the sort of time you've talked about. If I'm being honest, it might be idleness, but it can just be fatigue and there's a hundred other things that you'd rather do to let your mind wind down or whatever so I think and I think I shared with you before I'm one of these all or nothing so I might set out to do as Tim says go to the gym three times five times a week or in biblical terms I might set out to do a plan which takes half an hour a day which I just cannot keep up so the one thing I've found useful is Tim's advice which is just do something and that might for me not actually even be 15 minutes but even five and then, building up from there, so um, I'm probably going across a bit what Tim said, but <laughs> just for personal experience, I just find it a massive, massive struggle to fit it in when you're dashing around, taking kids' places, going to work, and then by the time you do get some time it's just you just it's the last thing you feel you want to do, so you know it is a case of just. And I think the the important point that you made, Tim, and probably the challenge for me, is it is that sacrificial time that something else is going to have to give. Um, It's just a case of being bold enough to work out what that is and get on with it.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's helpful. And if you're doing nothing, doing five minutes is way, way better than doing nothing. So if you can consistently find the five minutes, you'll probably end up finding it turns into 10 or 15 So, uh, yeah, I think you start where you need to start. But one thing I didn't mention that does come to mind, I think we often forget, maybe we expect that we should always be excited to read the Bible, but the Bible itself tells us that there's spiritual warfare going on. And it is, for many of us, it's a spiritual battle we have to fight every day to turn to the Bible. And, Turning to the Bible is a victory over Satan when we do it. So let's not always put it down to various other things. We have to recognize one factor in this is the fact that Satan would love to present, prevent us. from. If, if reading the Bible and meditating the Bible makes us grow and mature and be more holy and Christ-like, Satan doesn't want us to do it. And it did remind me of one little comment in here. This is from... J.I. Packer, but this is what he says. If I were the devil, one of my first aims would be to stop folk from digging into the Bible. Knowing that it is the word of God, teaching men to know and love and serve the God of the word, I should do all I could to surround it with the spiritual equivalent of pits, thorn hedges, and man traps to frighten people off. At all costs, I should want to keep them from using their minds in a disciplined way to get the measure of its message. So as you think about this and as you think about your own struggles, just recognize, as we've been seeing in Revelation, the devil is active. And one of the ways he's active, I think Packer's exactly right, what what would be a key thing to target for the devil? It would be keeping God's word shut and unaccessed by God's people.
3: that reading the Psalms is a tremendous help to meditate upon the Bible. The Psalms are easy flowing, easy to read, and it rests the mind, and uh, I found it, it's given me an introduction to other books of the Bible. I also have a little book called Waiting Upon God by Andrew Murray. And I have to confess, this book has been a tremendous help to me. It instructs us not to go racing about from one appointment to another, but to literally wait upon God with that stillness of heart and As we read the scriptures, and again I say the Psalms, they're inspiring. We feel strengthened, and we sense God's presence with us. Uh, For instance, Psalms, I think it's Psalms 62 and 63. Uh, The psalmist is longing for God. And he says, my soul longs for God and my body. And that's true. Our whole being should be longing to know God and to know his presence with us.
0: Thank you. And I I think just as you talk about waiting on God or we spoke about lingering over things, many of us would say everything in our lives is stacked up to be the opposite of that. So it really is a massive gear change but I think the Bible itself would say and people throughout the centuries have said it's a worthwhile gear change to force ourselves to make to turn aside from the pace of everything else even if it's 5, 10, 15 minutes. Um, I
4: have often found myself in patches where I might as well be reading the Cornflake packet um, when it doesn't say anything to me and my mind's like a flippity gibbet and jumping this way and that and thinking about all the things I've got to do in the next five minutes when I stop doing this and all of the above but sometimes I'm comforted by something I heard when I was really a very new Christian that I was told by my then pastor to Read the Bible so that your blood becomes bibline and, and also to use the Bible like a preservative so that sometimes you don't get a blessed thought and you don't have a wondrous revelation but you're just putting it into your system day in, day out irrespective of what you feel is happening to you. Um, and sometimes God does stuff when you're not actually noticing it And sometimes I think we beat ourselves up because a lot of the popular Christian press expects us to have a a beatific experience every morning and be transported into several heavens in five minutes. And it doesn't always happen like that. Or there are times when other things in your life completely cut you off from any sense of God's presence. And I think then just the walking, putting one foot in front of the other and doing it because God says do it, can act like a preservative in your life. Amen.
0: Thank you, that's helpful. And just picking up on a couple of that, C.S. Lewis has a really helpful comment where he talks about duty and delight. And he says often what we feel as duty and drudgery is just digging a trench for the delight. So he, he speaks about a lot of the time when we go to the Bible or in prayer, we really feel like we're just digging a trench. But when the water from heaven comes, it has something to run in. And I think that is... So even on the days when it feels like we're just going through the motions, there's huge reason to go through the motions that day anyway. Because you're leaving yourself open and you're sustaining the discipline. So on the days when it does come, you are ready to receive it. And the the, the flippity gibbet with your mind jumps around i think another helpful thing that was mentioned to me was uh, keep a notepad and if something important does come into your mind just write it down and pick it up when your 15 minutes are over rather than spending half the 15 minutes solving the problem that you're going to deal with later in the day just bank it until your 15 minutes are over
2: Just one or two comments. Um, I think some of us, we might love reading. You know, our idea of uh, heaven will be to be sitting with a book. Um, but even then, if we're honest, we find that it's very often easier to read something else than it is the Bible. Mm-hmm. And I think it's easy as well for us to feel judged if we're not. As we see it, if you like, it becomes a negative um, meeting or doing what others would expect us to because perhaps we think everybody does more than we are. And I know for some, where I might enjoy reading, to some, it's almost like a punishment. And so I think it's important that they don't feel that the rest is being judgmental. But a couple of things that I found helpful is one is very often we use the NIV um, is to use another translation mm-hmm. and to read things in a different translation and I think you made the point about translations a while ago on a, a Thursday evening that if you like sometimes reading something like the NLT translation is perhaps not um, a sound, if you like, or as deep as the ESV, but it's perhaps e- easier to read. Mm-hmm. And another thing, and I've done this, but it's not an easy thing to do, is reading through the Bible in a year. But I did it in the, using the notes, I think, which went back when Trevor Norris was here, chronologically. And I mm-hmm. found that a great help to put things, not in the order they're put in the Bible, but in you know, on a time a timeline. So that's just a few, um, yeah. you know, comments I would make.
0: Yeah, that's helpful, thanks. Just picking up on the the idea that for some of us, the, the thought of Bible reading might be a punishment, I, I can see that point, but on the other hand, if we love the Saviour who died for us, and the God who made us, and if he has communicated to us Even if we don't normally like reading, surely there's there's got to be some desire in there to not to to love the the process of reading itself, but to love what we're going to get from the reading. I mean, in that book, he gives it's a crazy example, but this guy who I guess he'd been in an accident in the army or something was paralyzed and um, also blinded. And he became a Christian and uh, he realized he he couldn't do Braille because he couldn't use his fingers. So he taught himself to read Braille using his tongue. I can't imagine the the agony and everything else, but that's an example of someone who loved the God behind the Bible and did what it took to get at what God had provided him. So I think we've got to we've got to balance it in a way. Yeah, we we are different and some of us will struggle, um, but even even if we struggle to read anything else, if there's any flame in us at all for the Lord, I think there's there's we'll be able to overcome that in some sense. Yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah. Because
2: mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I I imagine every single one of us if we're totally honest, say it's a struggle and it, it stays a struggle i mean there may be there are great days definitely but i think it's it's not something you conquer and suddenly the light switches on and you skip towards your bible every morning i think it's the devil keeps attacking we keep being weak and so it's something that's why we call it a discipline and perseverance yeah
1: So I know we're running out of time, but uh, just just thinking a bit more on, on that point. Being somebody who actually does really hate reading, but <laughs> I take your point. But the ability to read, or everybody being able to read, is a relatively recent phenomenon in, in history, so for those, I'm not necessarily saying now for those who can read and just can't be bothered to, but for those who may be suffering with something like dyslexia where, you know, reading is a real issue or actually can't read, do we have any thoughts or sort of suggestions Yeah, that's them?
0: actually really helpful because again in the book he mentions that and audio, audio versions of the Bible, I mean he mentions it in the context of people who are commuting but if reading is a genuine struggle, you can they're amazingly well read and easy to listen to and enjoyable to listen to versions of the bible audio. I was find one the other day. I think it's on um it might be mystudybible.com somewhere It's free. you just click on the chapter you want, and it's it's really it's probably some famous actor whose name I, a voice I couldn't place but I think, is it David Suchet, the guy who did Poirot? He's recently done a version of the new NIV. That's an, an easy way. If reading's a genuine struggle, just listen and listen and, and you can es- essentially get the same effect. Thank you.
5: One of the things that... Um spurs my mind, spurs me on to read the Bible, is that uh, uh, when I think about the uh, Christians in other countries that aren't allowed to read their Bible, they're not even allowed to own the Bible, and they've got it in their hearts, meditating in their heads, which they've learnt previously, and we don't know how long we're going to have the freedom to read our Bibles and to study them and digest them. So we should make the most of the freedom that we've got
0: <coughs> thank you any other comments thoughts just to keep you uh, active Nathan <laughs>
1: And you mentioned um, that sometimes you know we, we have to do the discipline just to dig the trench to prepare ourselves for blessing. But I think it's also important to remember we need it for times of trouble, because mm. many times if you don't read your Bible and things happen to you and you haven't got a clue what God's doing, the Word explains that. You know you can yeah. learn to trust Him and, and understand it and even see what's going on. Even when you know it, it's uh, it's just we need it for the bad times as much yeah. as the good
0: yeah thank you that's helpful because I I do find reading through the Psalms a lot of the time probably 95% of the Psalms the writer of the Psalm is in big deep trouble of some kind and if you're not going through trouble you can read that and think well I just don't relate to that but as Clive has just said the value of reading it even when you're not going through trouble is when you do hit trouble and you don't necessarily feel like reading the Bible that stuff has been sowed in your heart and then you maybe can see the value of all those Psalms about deliver me, save me, help me, they're trying to get me. All that stuff that keeps coming back in the Psalms. There's really only five or six Psalms that are joyful and bouncy. But in the very end. But, yeah.
5: Sometimes we're a stage where I've not been reading the Bible and um, I've been um, provoked I've been challenged by another believer coming to me and saying um, what are you reading at the moment <laughs> and yeah. you know and it really makes you think um, I haven't been reading lately you know and, and it gets you back to so yeah. maybe that would be a way of helping some
0: Yeah, yeah, thank you. And I think if someone does ask you that, just be honest. And if you haven't read anything for a week, say that and ask the person to pray that you'll get that desire and discipline back. So yeah, as long as we do it in a way that doesn't um, come across as an attack, it's, it's really what the Bible means when it talks about accountability, so yeah.
4: I find this all very challenging.
0: (laughs) Yeah, thanks. I'd imagine we all do. Because I think uh, no matter how well we might do for a while, there are all going to be times in our lives for all of us where it's more difficult than at other times. Life situation with a a newborn or caring for someone in our family that needs constant care, that's really going to Disrupt our time in the Bible but the Lord knows that and we just persevere with our stage in life and do what we can. Apparently uh, Susanna Wesley John Wesley's mother I don't know how many kids she had running around the kitchen at any given time but her practice was to flip her apron up over her head and read the Bible under her apron and the kids knew that while the apron was over her head they needed to leave her alone so that's an example of doing what you can amid massive distractions, but the Lord knows that. And as Robert said, it's not a thing that we are to think of the Lord being judgmental towards us. The, the, the positive way to think about it is there's so much there for us that he's provided a banquet of God. So think about it that way. Don't think about the fact that we're so weak in what we do a lot of the time. So we... Uh, close with giving thanks to God and then we'll we can eat. And do remember to I'll, I'll move these books over to the table. Do remember to have a look and sign up if you'd like either of the books. Father, we we thank you for the food we're about to go and eat, but we want to take time first just to thank you again for this spiritual banquet that you have delivered to us and that many people have in fact, given their lives over the years to put into our hands. We remember the time of the Reformation and those who were martyred for their desire to give the Bible and make it accessible to everyone in their own language instead of just in Latin. So we, uh, we thank you for them and the price that they paid to give us this today. We, As Barbara mentioned, we think of people around the world who don't have access to your word either because the Bible is banned in their country or because it's not translated into their language and uh, so we give you thanks for this blessing that we have and we do not want to take it for granted. So help us in our weakness, help us in our failures never to give up but to keep going even in the days and sometimes the weeks and the months where we do so uh, pathetically at feeding on your word. Help us to persevere. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.